Hey, this is Greg Knapp. You're in Find Your Purpose, Live Your Passion. Today on the show, how to use your self-talk to your advantage. And then we're going to interview Scott Young on his new book, Ultra Learning. If you've ever wanted to learn something quickly for your job or any part of your life, you need to hear this interview. Let's go. You know how you sometimes feel stuck? Like you're drifting through life, going through the motions? You know you were created for something more, that an average life just isn't enough for you. Then you're in the right place. Find your purpose. Live your passion. Let's go. I want to talk a little bit about your self-talk and how you can actually use it to your advantage. I mean, we ask ourselves questions every day, don't we? And have you ever noticed that your brain always has an answer? I mean, sometimes it's consciously, sometimes it's unconsciously, but your brain always answers. So are you asking the right questions and are you getting the right answers? Here's what I mean. Have you ever asked yourself questions like these? Why does this always happen to me? Why am I so stupid? Now, it doesn't always happen to you and you're not stupid, but we ask ourselves that, right? I mean, if you realize how your emotions are controlling you and you stop to think logically, you know that nothing always happens to you. You know you're not stupid. You're smart. But if you ask yourself these questions, your brain will make up an answer. Do you really want to hear it? See, when you consistently ask yourself a question, you're going to get an answer. So you need to ask and answer it wisely. You need to start with better questions. Things like, what is my purpose? What are my passions? How can I start my own business? What do people tell me I'm really good at? What do I do when time just seems to fly? What can I do to serve people that will cause them to line up to give me their money? Oh, that's a good one. What can I do to make a difference? How can I have more freedom in my life? And what are some questions you need to stop asking yourself? Write those down too. And then burn them. Yeah, I mean, what are some questions you need to start asking yourself? Write them down on post-it notes, put them on your mirror. Write them down on index cards, put them in your wallet. Greg, I don't have a wallet anymore. All right, money clip, cell phone holder, whatever it is. Read them every day and work on the answers. In fact, I'd read them every breakfast, lunch, and dinner time and work on the answers. I love what Richard Bach said about it. Argue for your limitations, and sure enough, they're yours. When you ask a question that really matters to you, there are three answers you should never give yourself. Number one, I don't know. See, the correct answer is, I don't know yet, but I know how to find out. Think about all the things in your business and life that you didn't used to know how to do. I mean, not too long ago, I had no idea how to write and publish a book. I had no idea how to create a blog. I had no idea how to simultaneously post on three different social media sites and do it when I'm not even at the computer because I scheduled it or how to create an automated email campaign. But I learned how. And you can also learn anything you need to know. In fact, it's never been easier to find out how to do something. Just go to old Google and type in how to or YouTube, also owned by Google. Yeah, I know. Uh, they're taking over the world. YouTube how-to. Don't you love those YouTube videos? You have incredible information at your fingertips. I mean, I am not a handy dude, but I was able to put in 
a replacement light bulb for the headlight of my 2001 Honda Odyssey minivan on the driver's side simply by putting it into YouTube. Sweet. Save myself 90 bucks. Thank you very much. So from blogs to books to online courses, videos, podcasts, ebooks, there is a way to find your answers. So never say, I don't know. It's I don't know yet. All right, here's number two. When you ask yourself a question, never answer, I can't. Because the correct answer is, I can figure out how to do it. Or, I can get someone else to do it for me. I like that one. Or, I can do something similar instead. See, I agree with your first grade teacher. I can't is dead. Bury it. Never say it again. I mean, what good has can't ever brought you anyway? And the third thing to never answer when you ask yourself a question is, I don't care. No, you do care or you wouldn't consistently be asking yourself the same question. So why are you using that as your answer when you don't really mean it? Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's a belief that you can't do it. So acting like you don't care makes that a little easier to take. Ever been there? I have. Hands way up. So you need to figure that out so you can get to the answer you actually want. So I've got a couple action steps for you. Number one, start asking yourself questions that will get you what you want and write them down and ask yourself those questions every day. Number two, when you get an answer that resonates with you, take action immediately. Ideas spring to life when you take action. And number three, don't accept the answers, I don't know, I can't, or I don't care. I love what Brene Brown said about all this. Talk to yourself like you would to someone you love. Now, I want to move from that over to how to have the successful mindset because a large part of how successful you are or will become is determined by how you think about yourself. If you think you can be successful, great. If you think you're smart enough, talented enough, connected enough, if you think you deserve to be successful, that's all awesome. Do you think of yourself as the owner instead of the employee? Uh, Greg, I am the employee. I'm not the owner. Okay, maybe. But if you think like an employee, you get employee results. If you think like the owner, you get owner results. Huh? Okay. Got a story for you. Have you ever heard of Richard Montañez? He was a Mexican immigrant, didn't speak English very well, had trouble figuring out his purpose, and dropped out of school. He was a janitor at a Frito-Lay plant in California. And one day he saw a video where the Frito-Lay CEO told the employees they should be thinking like owners of the business. They should be looking for ways to improve the company, make it more competitive. He took it to heart. One day when he was out on his lunch break, he saw the corn man, one of those food trucks, adding butter, cheese, and chili to the corn. And he thought, hey, what if I added chili to a Cheeto? He went home and experimented on it. His friends and his family loved the spicy Cheetos he created. And then he called the CEO. And he even got an appointment to pitch the executives on his new product. He went out and bought his first tie. He got a marketing strategy book from the library. And he went for it. The CEO loved it. And Flaming Hot Cheetos were born. Richard is now Executive Vice President, Multicultural Sales and Community Activation for PepsiCo North America. He serves on several boards, has spoken at the UN, and has even met 
presidents. And Richard said, look, it's all the result of my PhD. Poor, hungry, and determined. And thinking like the owner. See, it doesn't matter what your title is or where you work. You really are your own boss. You get to decide if you work, where you work, what type of work you do, how to increase the value you provide, how and if you continue to grow, and where you're going to work next. You get to decide to be happy or miserable or to do something about how you feel. Really, you get to choose your life. Don't give that power away to anyone or anything. I mean, of course, there are consequences to choices, but you get to make the choices. Don't give your power to decide to someone else or to circumstances or society. I mean, if it feels like someone else is making these decisions for you, reclaim your power. Do what it takes to make the choices you want to make. Use your power to pursue your passion and purpose. And remember, no matter where you work or what you do, no one can stop you from thinking like the owner except you. W.E. Henley said, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Don't forget, if you have a question or comment from me, just leave me a voicemail. I'll put it right in the show. 904-373-6591. 904-373-6591. And you can get a free book, an ebook for you, Five Steps to Finding and Pursuing Your Passion and Purpose at my website, gregorybnapp.com. It'll pop right up for you. I'm bringing in Scott Young. He's the author of Ultra Learning. It's master hard skills, outsmart the competition, and accelerate your career. And Scott is living this. This is what I loved about it when I said I got to have Scott on because he has completed the entire four-year MIT computer science curriculum in less than 12 months. And he taught himself four new languages in a year. I'm still trying to learn English. So we're bringing in Scott Young. Scott, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. And you can go to his website, scotthyoung.com, for the free ebook and a free chapter of this book. So, Scott, I got to start with how you learned MIT's four-year computer science curriculum in less than a year. How do you do that? Yeah, so this was a project I did in 2011 I called the MIT Challenge. I just graduated from business school. I was wanting to be an entrepreneur, and it was only after a couple of years of business school that I realized, hey, business school is mostly about how you can be a good middle manager in a large company and not necessarily how do you start your own. And I became really interested in computer science because, you know, all these great entrepreneurs, Bill Gates, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, all these people who started big companies, you know, that's what they studied. They studied computer science. And so uh, instead of going back to school, I was very interested because MIT actually posts a lot of their material online for free. So after digging through some of their material, I realized that, you know, it might be possible to do like the skeleton of an MIT degree, just trying to pass the final exams and do the programming projects. Wow. And so you did that in less than a year. So I know the people listening are going to say, how in the world did you structure your studying and your focus in order to do four years of work in one year? How, how do you arrange that? So I think a lot of people would think, oh, if you're not going to school, it must be much, much harder. And there are some things that make it easier when you're in a school, but that's not universally the case. For instance, you know this probably if you're used to listening to podcasts that you can watch a recording at a slightly faster speed. So when I would have to watch lectures, I could watch them at one and a half or two times the speed. And if you ever don't understand anything, you can just pause it and go back. 
Similarly with assignments, the normal way to do an assignment is that say there's 10 questions, you have to go through all 10 of the questions, you submit them, then you wait a week or so to get your feedback. But if you're doing it on your own and you have the solution key, you can just do them one question at a time and very quickly learn from your mistakes. So using these kinds of methods and obviously studying very hard for the whole year, I was able to get through this sort of MIT challenge kind of benchmarked on the MIT curriculum. That's awesome. And I know you also learned four languages in a year and you go over some of that in the book and it brings up in my mind, can anybody do this or Scott, is it just that you're really good at learning? I mean, because some people are good at tests. Some people are good at studying. And you say, well, you know, I, I wasn't very good in school. I just did okay. Can I do this too? So, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because obviously I think that there are some people who are better at learning. They're smarter, more intelligent. So I'm not to make the case that everyone is identical and that if you can't do this, then you're doing something wrong. But on the other hand, I think people often underestimate how much they can learn if they use the right approach. So for this second project you mentioned, learning four languages in a year, I didn't do it on my own. In fact, I had a roommate uh, before I left on the trip and he was saying, you know what, I'm thinking about doing some travel before, before I go off to do my master's. And so we talked about doing this trip together and over a period of several months, I was able to convince him, you know, this might be the right way to learn uh, learn a language. And we went and he did this project, which we called the year without English, where the method that we were using is when we would land in each country, we went to Spain to learn Spanish, Brazil to learn Portuguese, China to learn Mandarin and South Korea to learn Korean. And the method we would use is when we would land in each country, we would uh, at, at all possible try not to speak any English to each other or to anyone we'd meet and just try to speak the language we were trying to learn. And it, it worked really well. We were able to make friends and go on dates and have fun and, and really live in these countries by using this approach, which, I mean, it wouldn't have been possible if we used the way most people learn languages, which is where you sit in a classroom for years and you very have very little actual real practice. That's pretty cool. And now you speak all those, at least at the conversational level? Yeah, to varying degrees. I mean, uh, it's really hard. Conversational itself is kind of a big benchmark. I would say with Spanish, we were very, very comfortable. Like it was never any difficulty with Spanish. And uh, I would say Korean was probably on the weaker end. But yeah, Chinese, these ones, we were able to have conversations, interact with people and, and you know, more than just ordering food at a restaurant, but having real, you know, friendships and interactions with people. That's fantastic. All right. So how would I start to apply ultra learning to my life in my work in, I don't know, a hobby? How, how do I start doing this? Absolutely. Well, the first thing is, is to realize that it's not like there's one step-by-step -step formula for applying to all these. One of the big reasons I wrote this book is because to look at people's projects, not just my own, but other people have done really cool feats of learning and they're all different from each other. They're people who are using different methods and different ideas. And so I tried to break down the book into these nine principles of ultra learning, which you can apply and sort of see, okay, how well am I stacking up on this principle or that principle and use those to improve your progress. So for in the interest of time, I can talk about two that I think are particularly important that people often miss. So the first one is directness. And so directness is the idea that if you're learning anything, the best way to learn it is going to be to have at least some of your practice directly in the situation where you want to use it from the very beginning. And the reason for this is there's actually a set of psychological, psychological literature going back, well, over a hundred years, really, showing that people are very bad at what psychologists call transfer. 
So transfer is the ability to take things that you've learned in one context, say in a classroom, and apply it in another context, say in real mm -hmm. life. And we've learned from many, many studies that people tend to do this uh, much less than we would expect and often in very narrow and, and rigid ways. And so the idea of directness is that you can avoid this in the beginning by actually doing something that is very similar to what you want to get good at. So if you want to learn a language, speak a language. If you want to you know, write programs to build your own website as a startup and write a program to build a website. If you want to learn a skill, make sure you're always doing some real practice instead of just reading a book or listening to someone. Man, I love that because uh, I was talking to a, a woman who's big into micro learning just a little while ago, and she was saying the same thing that you break these lessons up into smaller lessons so that as soon as you finish the lesson, you then apply it. She was doing it with sales. So if the first thing was setting an agenda for the meeting, then as soon as you finish that, you call up one of your clients and set an agenda for the meeting. And, you know, cause now your brain is going, Oh, I'm using this. And, and then you see how it works and you see how it helps your life and it kind of locks it in. Oh, there's, there's no question that when we're talking about something like learning from, you know, when we're talking about learning, people often think about school, but really, if you're trying to improve your business, if you're trying to improve your career and you pick up a business book off the shelf and you're not applying some direct practice, yeah, a lot of it probably won't stick. And, and this is something that I think even authors know that most people don't remember the vast majority of their book. Maybe they'll remember it at a very high level and even fewer people will apply it. And so you have to be, as the person who's reading the book, taking that initiative to apply it to places. Very cool stuff from Scott Young in his book, Ultra Learning. Hey, are there some things that are easier to learn more quickly than others? Well, I think the principles that I discuss in the book are pretty universal because they they depend on these general learning mechanisms, meaning that the reason people are able to accomplish these ultra learning feats is because they understand how the brain works and their practice and the way that they're learning lines up with how the brain works. Now, I will say that in my mind, there are certain types of projects where you can get a lot better results than the status quo because the status quo tends to be quite bad. So for me, I, I feel language learning, the default way that most people approach language learning is so bad that it's not that you have to be some linguistic genius to learn a language better. You just have to not do that. You have to do a more effective approach. And so I'm very critical, not only of a lot of the ways that languages are taught in school, at least sort of by, you know, naive teachers or students, but also even a lot of like, you know, popular language learning apps, I feel are not very effective for their end goal. And often because of this directness reason, because playing on an app and actually speaking a language are quite different and you'll have transfer issues. Cool. We're talking with Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition, and Accelerate Your Career. Scott, we were talking about things you can do to become an ultra learner. You said directness, and then you said also retrieval. Tell us about retrieval. So retrieval is the idea that if you want to be able to remember things long term, that you need to actually practice recalling them as opposed to reviewing them. And the best example of this is think about how most students study. Well, they read over their notes again and again, maybe they recopy it, maybe they get different colored pens and they highlight it in different ways. And what research shows is that this isn't very effective and that they would be much better off if they did something which psychologists call retrieval, either in free recall or doing questions and practice testing. So there's a really interesting study that shows this that I just love. And it was done by Jeffrey Karpicki and uh, Janelle Blunt. And the study had students divided into multiple groups. And in one of the groups, they told the students to do repeated review, which means that you just look over the material again and again and again until you feel like you know it. And then another group they told to do free recall. So free recall is where you close the book, 
and you just try to remember everything that was in the passage after you've read it the first time. So it's called recall, obviously, because you're doing recall and free because there's no questions or prompts. You just have to try to remember everything without any questions or constraints. What they did is after they did this study, they asked the participants, how well have you learned the material? And subjectively, they tried to assess their own performance. And the people who did repeat review said, you know what, I got this. Whereas the people who did free recall were like, oh, wow, this was really hard. I didn't remember very much. I must not know the material very well. But when you actually test them, it's the opposite. The people who did free recall did better than the people who did repeated review. And so this is a sort of a repeated theme in my book and stuff, but it is just that often we don't know what the more effective way of learning is. And so students who are not aware of this research, they don't not aware of the importance of retrieval, may spend a lot of time studying using a quite ineffective method of just reading things over and over again. And then when they get to the test, they're like, well, I knew everything, but then they asked these questions and it was unfair and blah, 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 blah. And it, it just really is because they were using the wrong method to study. And this applies not just to students, but in real life as well for anything that you want to be able to remember. Yeah, I love it when studies catch up to what you knew from growing up because nobody really teaches you how to study in school. And I've been trying to teach my daughters the same thing. And and what you're saying resonates with me because I'm sure everybody remembers when you were taking a test, let's say it was vocabulary and they had matching where they would have the word and then they'd have the definition over on the side and you had to match up the right ones. Well, that's pretty easy. If they just had the word and you had to write the definition out of your head, that's a whole nother level. And that's where flashcards are so great. You're forcing yourself to retrieve that information. That's a whole different level of learning. I love it. Much of what learning is, is not about getting knowledge into your head but getting it out in the right situations. So the reason that review often doesn't work very well is that yes, you become more familiar with the information, you will recognize it when you see it, but you're not able to activate that information in the right context when you actually need to know the answer. And so this is a big theme of ultra learning and it's part of the reason that directness is important, but definitely for retrieval, that a big part of learning is not about getting knowledge into your head, but getting it out in the right situations. And I would say, let's use it where you work. Let's say that you are trying to learn a new program at work or a new method of operation at work. The best way to learn that after you have studied it a little bit would be to close the book and try to tell somebody else about it, right? Or teach somebody else to do it. You get to that level. Now you really know it. Well, obviously using the actual skill, using the program is going to be a good way to learn it. But oftentimes, maybe we don't have those situations. So my classic example is that if you are a programmer, you may learn about some fancy technique for solving a certain kind of problem, but you don't have to solve that problem right now. That's not a thing that you have to deal with. But you may want to remember it three, six months down the road when you actually want to use it. And so in that case, just reading the article, just reading the book and being like, hmm, that's neat is not going to be as useful as closing the book and being like, now, what was that that I just read? And because if you do that, you're going to increase your ability to uh, recall it when you actually need to. Yeah. And, and even for something as simple as you want to learn that new Snapchat thing they've got or Facebook or Twitter or Instagram use it right away, right? If you want to do the live feed or whatever, if you use it a few times, now you really know it and it's probably going to stick with you. That's cool stuff. All right, scotthyoung.com for more information. Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning With Me. We teased this a minute ago. You have this thing in the book that you call a meta-learning map. Tell us what that is and how we would use that. So meta-learning is just a fancy word for saying learning how to learn. 
And the idea here is that if you're going to do your own kind of self-directed ultra learning project, then one of the challenges is that you don't know the right way to learn something. And this can often be a really big problem because you'll see people who are trying to teach themselves a language. Maybe they're kind of frustrated with how they approach things in schools, but then they sort of unwittingly use apps and programs that people who learn languages don't like. They know that that doesn't work very well. And so one of the things that you can do is build this map, which is basically to figure out what it is you need to learn, what kinds of obstacles you're going to face, what kinds of materials and resources are out there. It's not a crazy thing to do. It's just a little bit like packing your suitcase before a trip. But a lot of people don't do this. They just grab the first book on the shelf or they just the first search thing that comes up in Google. They're like, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do. And so I recommend if you're going to spend a couple months learning something, spend a couple hours just Googling around. What's the best way to learn this? What is the what are the resources that are out there? What do people who have learned this skill think about those resources? What are going to be the obstacles? What kinds of tools should I be using in order to learn it? So we mentioned flashcards. We mentioned retrieval. Is that going to be something that's really important? We talked about directness. If this is something that you're mostly learning from a book and you're not actually applying, maybe you got to start thinking about, well, how can I practice it in a real context to start off? So creating this map from the beginning is a huge part of ensuring your learning success. Awesome. And I love to give people a quick win. So what could I do today? to start my path in ultra learning? So let me give a few. So the first one would be always when you start a project, ask yourself, where am I going to use this skill and this knowledge? And this applies particularly even if what you're learning is a kind of abstract or theoretical knowledge. Because even if the only way you want to use a skill is to have conversations with other people, that will still inform how you go about learning it and how you use it. The second tip is that whenever you want to remember anything and you need to be able to recall it rather than just being able to look it up, you need to practice retrieval, not review. So that applies to all students who are studying for tests, but certainly a lot of us in our own lives where we want to be able to have information at our fingertips rather than having to type it up and look it up uh, what the actual answer is. A third little technique that I find very helpful is something I call the Feynman technique. And basically the idea is whenever you don't understand something, Get out a piece of paper, write whatever you don't understand at the top, and try to explain it to yourself as if you were teaching someone else. So write out a little explanation of it. And this has an important benefit because not only does it help you actually put all your ideas together, so often you'll just understand the idea by doing that, but then also it's beneficial because when you don't understand something, you'll know exactly what you don't understand. So you'll know exactly what question to ask a teacher, a friend, a mentor, or you know where to look up in the book what the actual answer is. Fantastic stuff. Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning. Go to scotthyoung.com. There's a free ebook there. You can also get a free chapter of this book and accelerate your career. A lot of the people I talk to, and, and this is for me too, we have so many ideas, mm. we kind of get overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, there's a million things I want to do. And so quite often I kind of dabble in all of them and never do the focused learning I need to get good at these things. How do you recommend you kind of focus? So first off, I want to say, you know, when we're talking about dabbling, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with dabbling. I think for me often I'm, you know, sort of doing a little bit of dabbling before I decide, do I want to really get serious about this? But I think for a lot of people, the challenge is like what you said, they never really get serious about it. So if the skill doesn't <laughs> just come to them automatically, they struggle, right? And, and a lot of skills are like this. I mean, 
I have not had any success dabbling with languages before. I've not had much success dabbling with like difficult subjects like programming or physics or, you know, I have to actually be focused and serious about it and which ones you need to be focused and serious about might be different. But the same idea applies that if you only dabble, you really only get good at the things that were just kind of, well, that was a pretty easy slide into to doing it all the time to a new hobby or word skill. And so for me, what I find very valuable is to just actually set up a project. So you pick a very concrete kind of area you want to focus on. So narrow it down. So you're focusing on, okay, I want to learn exactly this. And then you set yourself, uh, you know, it could be, could be a very intensive short project, or it could be stretched out over several months, but it's, you know, you know, half an hour a day, something like that, but actually put it in your calendar, actually put it in your schedule, what you want to do and decide how you're going to invest in it. And I think also limiting the scope of what you're trying to learn is also very helpful because it prevents you from feeling overwhelmed. So I, I don't recommend anyone say, oh, I want to learn Spanish. I recommend instead, what is your goal in Spanish? Is your goal to have uh, you know, an hour conversation with someone without using a dictionary? Is your goal to be able to travel to Mexico and you know, speak to people when you're getting taxi directions and uh, ordering food at a restaurant is your goal to be able to you know watch telenovelas and and you know engage in in Spanish media the reason for this is that narrowing the scope not only helps you be more direct in your practice which helps with transfer and things like that but it also helps you prevent from getting overwhelmed because a lot of learning tasks can just seem so big so challenging that you have no idea where to begin and if you narrow the scope enough you can feel like, oh, okay, you know, I have, I have to put in the work, but I know where to begin. I know where to start with this goal. And so if you have a really big goal, I recommend chunking it down into uh, smaller goals that you can focus on for short bursts of time. Man, I love all that, Scott, because it goes right into what we talk about a lot here. And, and it's that we're finding our purpose and, and we're finding our passion and purpose. And the reason you got to have that purpose, you got to have that why so that when you get a little bit uncomfortable, when it gets a little bit hard, when you feel a little overwhelmed, you're like, why am I doing this again? I'm not just doing it for no reason. I'm doing it because I want this. And the reason I want this is this. And then it motivates you to keep going and focus on what it is you really want and why you want it. And I'm also a big believer in chunking it down. I hate go big or go home because quite often <laughs> you just go home. So I'm like, Absolutely. I'm like, hey, man, let's 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 get a little goal. Let's achieve that little yeah. goal. Get a little excitement going. And then we got another bigger goal and then we can keep, keep going. So that's awesome. You know, advice. it is, uh, it's funny you, you talk about the idea of like how we feel frustrated and overwhelmed and even in the idea of calling it ultra learning and throughout the book, I talk about how, you know, doing this is sometimes hard and frustrating. And some people have asked me, well, why, why is that? Do you like just, you know, hate learning or you just want to try to get through it as fast as possible. But the reason is simply that I think if you approach learning with the idea that yes, it's sometimes frustrating, but it is rewarding and you can kind of imagine yourself getting frustrated, but yet persevering that kind of anticipation and visualization and preparation will allow you to succeed a lot better than if you think, well, this is going to be a breeze. And then the first time it's a frustration, you just give up. So for me, I think imagining those frustrations in advance, imagining being tired and it being difficult and you imagine the things that will go wrong in your project. And I mean, the good times, the easy times, the rewarding moments will take care of themselves. It's how you handle those frustrations. And I think anticipating them and imagining them and feeling them is going to be a good way to prepare yourself for that. 
Yeah, and that's, that's kind of counterintuitive because a lot of people say just, you know, visualize how great it's going to be when you know this. Visualize yeah. speaking Spanish to somebody on the beach in Mazatlan, right? And that's going to be awesome. And ignore all the negative because the negative is going to bring you down. But I, I, I kind of like what you're saying. It resonates with me because it's you want to know the worst possible thing that can happen so that you're prepared for it. Your right. fears are going to get you regardless. So it's, you can't just avoid them. You can't run away from them in your mind. So if you're afraid of learning a language and you're, let's say, learning French and you're worried that you're going to go to France and you're going to speak French to some Parisian waiter and he's going to be like, oh no, your English, your French is terrible. I'm going to speak to you in English. And he does that to you and you feel <laughs> crushed because you've been studying it for a couple months and he was so dismissive of you. And and that's the thing you're afraid of. Well, then trying to push that thought out of your mind, okay, well, that's not going to happen. This is going to happen. I don't think is very helpful. Rather, I think it's that, you know what, that might happen. And what am I going to do in that moment? What am I going to do when he says that? And maybe the answer is that you just repeat back in French, like, oh, yes, I know my French isn't very good, but I've been trying to learn and, you know, I, I'd like the opportunity to practice. And a lot of people are supportive. And, you know, this was a big part of when I did this Year Without English project was imagining how difficult it was going to be to not speak English for a year and to, to be, you know, in awkward situations where people are like, oh, come on, speak English. This is so annoying or so whatever. And the funny thing was, is that those moments did happen, but they were exceedingly rare. Most of the moments were as soon as you explain to someone, oh, I have a project where I'm not speaking English to try to learn Spanish, let's say. People would be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay, I'll help you out with that. And so the funny thing is, is that often when you prepare for the worst, the worst actually doesn't happen. Yeah, I like that. Prepare for the worst, expect the best is what my mom always told me. It makes a lot of sense. Scott Young, author of Ultra Learning, Master Hard Skills, Outsmart the Competition, and Accelerate Your Career. Great stuff from Scott Young. Hey, have you ever heard that you learn more from your failures than you do from your successes? I've heard that a lot. You probably have too. Things like this from Winston Churchill. Success is stumbling from failure to failure with no loss of enthusiasm. Or C.S. Lewis. Failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. Ralph Waldo Emerson, one of my favorites. The greatest glory in living lies not in never falling, but in rising every time we fall. And of course, Zig. Zig Ziglar's always good for one. It's not how far you fall but how high you bounce that counts. Yeah, it's conventional wisdom. I get it. I don't need another quote, but I always felt like there was something wrong with that idea. I mean, mistakes tell you what not to do, and that's good as far as it goes, but knowing what not to do still doesn't help you know exactly what you should do. See, I feel like I learn more about what to do next from my successes, not my failures. I mean, it's important not to be afraid of temporary failure. I get that. And if you're worried about that, you'll never try great or so-called impossible things. So by all means, fail away. But I like to study my successes. I mean, what did I do right? How can I repeat that? How can I do it even better next time? That really helps me when I'm feeling down or like I can't do it. What I do is I think back over all the times where I figured it out, where I did what was necessary to succeed. And then I repeat what I did right. It really lifts me out of my funk time and time again. Now, if you want to do something really well, don't you try to emulate the people who are the best at it? I mean, if you want to learn how to throw a baseball, do you watch someone who's making mistakes or do you watch a major league pitcher? I love this study from Vanderbilt University. 
because it gives us another reason that learning from your statement. I love this study from Vanderbilt University because it gives us another reason that this idea of learning from your mistakes might not be what we've been told. This experiment was about self-control. And some of the participants were asked to focus on their self-control successes, while others were told to focus on their self-control failures. Then everybody was given a budget and choices on how to spend their money. And guess what? The people who focused on what they did well they were able to stick to their budget more than the people who focused on what they did poorly. Now, I think this is true for a lot more than self-control. Regardless of what you're working on, if you reflect on the times when you succeeded, you're going to be primed more for success. The opposite happens when you focus on the failures. So here's the bonus. Thinking about your successes also feels great, and it really motivates you. Thinking about your failures, eh, not so much. I'll go back to Emerson again because he said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. So here are a couple quick action steps. One, remind yourself you will have to go through some temporary failures as you journey to success, and that's okay. You're trying new stuff. Two, learn from your mistakes. Get clear on what went wrong. Make sure you don't make the same mistakes again. And three, focus on your successes. Hey, I really appreciate you listening to the show. Don't forget to leave me a message on 904-373-6591 or go to my website, gregorybnap.com. You'll get a free ebook there and you can contact me on the contact tab. Find your purpose, live your passion.